This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 129 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have the third and final part of the epic tale of Connell Yellowclaw attempting to save his sons from the gallows of the King of Lachlan through the power of his own storytelling. But first, if you're a new or returning listener, thank you so much for your new or recent support. Like I said before, this is probably not your very first episode if you're listening to part three of this. Certainly listen to part one and two. And then if you like those, go right back to the very beginning of Fireside and see what we've been building up to on the journey thus far. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so, so much for your continued support as always. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard if you want to check out my poetry or see what I'm up to at the moment. Uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com or join the intimate community of Fireside supporters over on headstuffpodcast.com where you can join Headstuff Plus for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you so choose and gain access to bonus material, not just for this podcast, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast network. I am coming to you. I am reporting to you live or at least live at the time of recording from quarantine in a hotel in Sydney. I am in day three of quarantining in the Novotel in Darling Harbour in Sydney, Australia. We have just landed. We're here for a five-month tour as a song and dance man in the musical theatre review world of musicals. And my giddy aunt, this has been an experience so far, We're delighted to be on the other side of the world so far because this tour has actually been postponed twice before and with the restrictions and this and that, it was, you know, it was one thing after another, one obstacle after another for us to actually get over to Australia. So we're so relieved to finally be here that the tour is finally going to happen. I literally just read this week that New Zealand has been COVID-free for a year now, which is astonishing. Now it is naturally i know there are flip sides to that uh in that there isn't as much of a vaccine program in place i'm not going to get into any of that i'm just delighted to be here but my word the quarantine is a very ex- interesting experience for the human brain i am like i will put it out there right there i am good on my own i enjoy my solitude i enjoy my time to myself very much so but this is a very different experience we were 
we were literally picked up from the airport by the Australian army and I was delivered to my door by a soldier who carried my bags all the way and would just have our food delivered to us. It's good food, it's a good hotel room, but just like can't even open my window. So it's just like with this recycled air through the air conditioning and I'm hopefully over the worst of it now, uh, hopefully over the worst of the jet lag now, but it has been a very interesting experience. I thought it was going to be flying out productivity-wise, getting well on top of Fireside, which I hopefully will now. Um, I just uh, I edited together and wrote. I definitely know the trajectory for the next few months of Fireside, which is very good because that's good to have firmly in my head as I'm going to be back on the road. But the episode for today is the final part of Cunnel Yellowclaw. It feels very strange to be finishing like a three-parter of an episode when I've been in such a different scenario for the last two but it's a good acoustic environment, to be fair. Probably better than the room, the hotel room I was recording it in in um, in Ireland. We'll chat a bit more about it, of course, afterwards. But so far, we've I think I catch things up fairly rapidly at the beginning of this episode. But we know the drill at this stage. Connell Yellowclaw and has three sons who engaged with a fight with the three sons of the King of Leinster. The eldest son of the King of Leinster gets killed by the, at the hands of the sons of Cunnel Yellowclaw. As penance, the sons and Cunnel must travel to Lachlan to steal the brown horse of the King of Lachlan. They get caught while over there, and Cunnel Yellowclaw's three sons face the hangman's noose unless their father can tell three stories, one for each son of a time, a more troubling day than the prospect of the hangman's noose. This is the third and final tale. He saved two sons already with two set, two stories. One of uh, one of being s- faced with ten cats in a boffy, and one of facing off against a giant and his two dozen goats and buck in a cave. And now this is it. This is the final part, part three of Cunnel Yellowclaw on Fireside. <laughs> Cunnel Yellowclaw Part 3 Cunnel Yellowclaw had saved the lives of two of his three sons, but his first and eldest child still faced the gallows. All four of them had been caught attempting to steal the brown horse of the King of Lachlan, which they only wanted to steal to save the sons from the gallows of the Irish King of Leinster. The King of Leinster wanted Connell Yellowclaw's sons dead for the murder of his eldest son. But now, Connell had to save the lives of his sons from the King of Lachlan through the power of his own storytelling. The Scandinavian king had asked him to tell three sorrowful tales of three days in his own life that rivaled the prospect of losing your sons to the hangman's noose. Connell had already told of his encounter with ten wild singing cats in a boffy, and of how he had escaped the clutches of a giant by blinding him and escaping in the skin of a goat. But he had one more son to save, and one more tale to tell. He began. When I was a bit older, I met and married my wife, but we had not yet had any of the sons whose lives I fight for today. I walked the coastline near my home and saw a small boat at the shore. The boat was tethered with a rope at either end, The length that trailed out to sea faded from view. 
tragically curious man that I have always been, I went to investigate the site. Within the boat, I could see a mound of gold, silver, and jewels. Perhaps I am greedy, opportunistic, whatever, but I wanted to have a look at that booty. So I swung one leg onto the boat, and before I could balance long enough to get both legs on board, the boat began to move. I just about clambered on to safety before I capsized the lot, riches, cunnel yellow claw and all. There were no paddles on board, so I was powerless, as if by magic the boat sailed itself out to sea. Soon I saw its destination, a tiny island I had never seen before in all my years living and walking that coastline. I disembarked the voyage with a hesitant foot, stepped onto dry land, there was not a dwelling or sign of any life, no aquatic or aerial beast. That was until I heard the sound of someone crying. A crying sound I never want to hear the like of again, and pray that none of you assembled here should hear either. I followed the sounds until I came upon the sight of a woman sat on a rock. She had a baby infant in her arms. I was soon horrified to realize that the reason the woman was crying was because she was holding a knife in one hand and aiming it straight at the baby's heart. The baby, for their part, was laughing at the sight of the deadly weapon. I ran towards the pair. What are you doing? I shouted at the mother. The woman frantically dropped the weapon. Who are you? Never mind who I am. What are you doing with that knife? You don't understand. There's a cyclops who lives on this island who has demanded that I cook my baby for him to eat. I wanted to spare him the pain of the cauldron, but I can't do it. More than any other scenario I had found myself in, in all my misadventures up to this point in life, I had no idea what to do, O King. I could not pass judgment and had no way of knowing how to even begin to help. But before I could even begin to think about what to say or do, I heard the sound of thunder across the island. It's him, cried the mother, and the baby too began to cry. Hurry and hide! I ran into the cave, to where a cauldron had been constructed over a pile of, as of yet, unlit wood. I climbed into the pot. It was full of water, but it was still cold or Colonel Yellowclaw most likely would not be telling this tale today. From the cauldron I heard, Woman, have you cooked that baby for me yet? The woman replied, He's not done yet. From inside the cauldron I called out in my best babby voice, Mammy, Mammy, tis boiling alive I am. Ha <laughs> The Cyclops let out a wicked and almost pleasurable laugh. He tossed some more wood onto the fire, and I could feel the water begin to warm. I knew that soon I would cook. Fortunately for me, knowing his dinner was on the way made the Cyclops very tired, and before I boiled alive, I could hear the sound of awful snoring. The mother soon came to my aid and let me out of my very hot bath. I did my best to quietly clamber out. The woman said to me, There is no way to slay the beast except with his own weapon. 
The weapon in question was a great spear by the cyclops' side. I went to pick it up, but it was like lifting a load-bearing beam for a home single-handed. But this mother had shown such strength in saving her child and helping me, I mustered what strength I could until the spear was high above my head. I then lumbered to drag it over to the sleeping cyclops. He was in such a deep sleep he did not feel me begin to walk up his body. He could not feel me, but I could smell his grotesque breath. When I reached his face, I raised the spear high above his head and brought it down through his sleeping eye. I was not strong enough to pierce through his eyelid, but it was enough to wake the giant up. He shot up so quickly that he struck his forehead against the roof of the cave and impaled the spear through his brain. The cyclops fell back down, dead. I tell you now, King, it is more than relieved I was to escape that island. Riches, mother, and baby in tow. As Colonel Yellowclaw was coming to the end of his tale, the mother of the King of Lachlan was in the Great Hall. And the Queen Mother said, Was that you that slew that giant and saved me and my child? Connell hardly recognized the woman as she had hardly recognized him. Is it you that was that mother? I was indeed that mother, and the boy that you saved is the king you now stand before. No one in the room could believe it. Up to this point, no one could tell truly if Connell Yellowclaw was truly extraordinary or if he was just a wonderful storyteller. The King of Lachlan was ashamed. He had always been told this story of the man who had saved he and his mother's life. He thought perhaps it had just been a bedtime story. But here he stood, Connell Yellowclaw, and the king had been about to hang his sons. At the end of the evening, a great feast was held to celebrate the hero of Ireland, Connell Yellowclaw. His sons were spared, and the next day they sailed home with not just their lives, but with enough riches to sink a vessel, and of course, the brown horse of Lachlan. The king of Leinster was more than appeased by the gift and the debt was settled. Colonel Yellowclaw resettled in Ireland with his wife and sons and lived happily ever after. That is, until his next adventure. The End And that is the end of part three of the epic tale of Connell Yellowclaw on Fireside. And I hope each and every one of you enjoyed it. My third, the third and final tale, and my favorite, I think, to boot. As when I first, when I first discovered these, this story of Connell Yellowclaw, I thought initially yes it would be unusable or i'd have to condense it but then i had this idea that in an ideal world it would be three stories because it was three 
three individual tales to save three sons. I loved the idea of it being three parts. But then I wondered, would it be two parts? Would it be because there was whole the whole exposition of the first scene of the first episode is the framing device, you know, the actual murder of the. Oh, hang on. Someone just dropping off a bottle of wine to my door. Bizarre that it was a bit earlier, and they like knock twice as well. So usually they knock to let us know our food is at the door, and then there's never anyone waiting there. But then there was the two knocks there, so I thought that perhaps there would be someone. But no, apparently not. Panic over it, nothing at all. But yes, I wanted it to be three stories and three parts. And it just worked out very well that lengthwise they all were about a fireside episode's length. It was just very satisfying to the three three acts of it. But so you'd be expecting that it would be as simple as telling these three tales which you know we we have because we know how folk tales work chances are it's going to be a happy ending that Connell would have these three tales to tell and to save these three sons and so let's talk about the tale he tells in the story first of all which to me reminds me of a few different things most notably I speak frequently about what a big Philip Pullman fan I am on this podcast Particularly his his Grim Tales books gave me the quote that I say all the time about why I wanted to start the podcast, which was to create versions of these stories that are as clear as water. That would just be versions of these stories, how I would tell them myself. But in his new trilogy, the the Book of Dust trilogy, the second of which tragically is one of my least favorite books I've ever read, um, and will be a source of a discussion at some stage, I'm sure. But the first part, I really, really liked. The first part of the Book of Dust, uh, La Belle Sauvage, I adored. It was it was quite a divisive one again among the community of his Dark Materials fans. But I absolutely loved it. And this, without giving anything away, it has this story of... A young boy saving the life of an infant baby um, from the likes of giants on a very small boat going down the Thames. And that naturally has very strong parallels with this story here, where we have a young man of Connell Yellowclaw. He's a bit older than he was in the previous two stories. He's married at this stage, although he doesn't have kids. And then he sees this boat that is tethered on either side in an image that's very reminiscent of the cave in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, I always think. That's what I think of when Dumbledore and Harry have to go out into the middle of the lake to uh, to find the, the Horcrux. Um, we have this, I, this, this boat that Connell steps onto and it drags him out to this island where there is a mother and a baby and she's about to stick the penknife in the baby's heart, a wheel, a wheel, a wheel, And we have this giant, or this cyclops rather. And initially it seems very similar to the last part where he faced off against a giant and his 12 goats. But here we have a cyclops and the cyclops belongs squarely in Greek mythology where we have Polyphemus in the Odyssey 
um, they are very specifically rooted because they are the sons of Poseidon and they're a very specific race that has now been appropriated across all cultures and I'm sure there are other cultures that naturally came up with Cyclopses themselves but they're so firmly rooted in Greek mythology that it was a really nice nice treat to have this Irish character encounter a Cyclops on this on this island and so we have this whole setup with the the cauldron and cooking alive and having to kill the baby and the mother saving i like that the mother is as very much a part of the success of this mission she very much saves Colonel yellowclaw's life as he then saves her life in turn and the life of her child is very much a collaborative effort it isn't purely damsel and distressy you know that she needs this this young man to save her and her baby's life they need it they need to be a team to get out of this together and i really i find that much more satisfying structurally and storytelling wise and then we have this this great this great visual of connell having to wrench this spear off the giant's side and pull it onto him onto his body which again started to just be bombarding with like various images from totally different things but this the image of connell climbing onto the giant's body pulling the spear reminds me of woody in toy story 2 trying to get his arm back from al from al's toy barn and being burped in his face and the smell from that this is because this is one of my favorite aspects of folklore is that when there's such broad and kind of vague characters and imagery it is just what it evokes in your own mind and that's what that particular image image does for me but we have this image of him holding it high above his head and bringing it down into the cyclops's eye which he's able to bring it down hard enough to wake him up but not quite enough to blind him like he was able to blind the previous giant but in a wonderful inventive twist it's enough to make the cyclops shoot up and impale himself through the head and fall down die fall down and die and that it might be my most i find that the most because it's quite it's quite simple it's not as drawn out perhaps as the giant with the ring that he ends up drying dying himself or drowning himself but there's something about the sudden shock and just very much boom dead that i find very satisfying and so connell has come to the end of this tale and this story very much in the series of stories very much could have easily wrapped up with him finishing the tale and the king going yep that's another good story you've saved the lives of three sons off you go here's the horse to boot good luck but no it is wrapped up further again when we have the mother of the king revealing that she herself was that young mother and the king of lachlan was that baby which gives you an idea about how old colonel yellowclaw is at this point but I was already really enjoying this story and already knew I wanted to adapt it by coming to the end of reading it the first time. And then this this ending, this twist at the end, was so narratively satisfying and just made it one tale. It made me sorry I almost couldn't do it as one big long epic tale, but that uh, 
it needed to be split up anyway. But I know a lot of people save save up episodes of the podcast and listen to them all together. So I feel these would be a good one to listen to all as one. But overall, it just just a great framing device. You know, I like when these. I like how isolated folk tales are in general, versus the the myths that kind of have more of an arc to them and are. I, they are the elements I like in each in each of them. I like that aspect of mythology, and then I like the individualistic aspect of folklore. But this for this tale to be a three parter just worked really well, and I've enjoyed it so much. And I hope you all have as well. This has gone ended up being one of my favorites of the stories of Fireside, and if there was were ever to be a fireside collection of my favorite stories this would firmly go into it because of every aspect of it because of these three very different subtales to it the overall framing device and then this lovely little twist at the end but just very satisfying and you'd know that this was a story with very definite written versions as well because for the most part these are very oral tales that passed down through the generations and then were eventually written down and a lot of the time I'm trying to kind of get the sense of oral tradition back because it's when they're written down they can become stuffy and deadened. But this is a story that has benefited from being cultivated and being written down and being written down in good versions, um, both in Scotland from the Highlands and then in Irish versions as well. And overall, I just, I love the tale. I can't say enough on that. I'm nearly out of breath. This is... You see, this is the problem with recording a, a podcast in a hotel room with no windows. And I have had to turn off the air conditioning because you'd hear the gentle whir of it. Hang on a second. Oh, there is my inhaler. But that is comes to the end of the epic conclusion of the three tales of Connell Yellowclaw. Please do let me know what you thought of each of them. Please do let me know on Instagram or via email at the fireside bard or at the fireside bard at gmail.com or over on headstuff plus if you want to get me there as well i think you can message in you know you know the places to get me if you want to give me any of your feedback next week it gives me great pleasure to announce that we are going in to the world of the mabinogion I'm going to be finally doing something I've wanted to do for a long, long time on this podcast, which is I'm adapting the stories from Welsh mythology. Welsh is very much, it's a Celtic nation, as we all know, and they have a seriously sophisticated and refined collection of 11 stories known as the Mabinogi or Mabinogion, as it's been known in more recent times in a very similar way that like the ta- the tawn is only known as the tawn recently like it is on Tombo Coina. and but i still wasn't sure you know cuz i'm not welsh and i do, i don't speak welsh and i didn't want to be stepping on any toes there but it was very much i was very much inspired by richard jones who is the welsh member of the cast of world of musicals who wanted to learn more about his own welsh mythology um so that he can pass it on to his kids and that's you know that's literally the reason i wanted to start fireside so that was the kick up the arse i needed so i've adapted the first story the first part 
basically the Mabinogion is split into the four branches, the four branches of the Mabinogion uh, or the Mabinogi. And then there are some subtails as well. So they are kind of a random collection. They very much aren't like one source or one writer, but there still are characters going throughout them. And already I'm finding it so narratively satisfying. And there's there's like an astonishing amount of echoes and parallels to Irish mythology already. Ireland is very heavily featured throughout the stories. And it just feels quite right. And I hope that I won't be stepping on any toes. And I hope everyone feels that it is a good direction for Fireside to go in because I think I will focus on this for the duration of it. So there's 11 stories, but then they're split into further stories. So if I was guessing, I'd say that the next like 20 episodes of Fireside will probably be dedicated to this because there is a lovely, there's a lovely mix of, of folklore and mythology to them. And certainly from me being on the road now, it's is going to be really helpful for me to just have this very much this through line of, of knowing exactly where I'm going with Fireside for the next couple of months. And I'm very excited. I feel very re-stimulated by it. And it, yeah, like everything, it just has just felt like the right, the right decision to go in. So, uh, uh, so yes, look forward to uh, the first story, which is uh, Polk, Prince of David, uh, which is going to be next week. Please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Follow, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Join the intimate community of Fireside supporters over at headstuffpodcast.com. Join Headstuff Plus for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. I'll see you all next time. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the Fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.